It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bzd.org.au, 3cr.org.au and whatever podcasting device you choose to use. And don't forget you can also follow us on Twitter at bzdtechshow. G'day, my name is Anthony Daniel and joining me as always is my partner in crime, Matt Grantham. How are you, mate? Very good, Anthony. How are you today? Oh, I can't complain. Yeah. Very good. And okay. Yeah, today, and who are we talking to? today in the studio, we're going to be speaking to Nick Martignac, uh, who's the founder of WePower, a blockchain-based energy platform based overseas, but they're currently here in Australia as part of the Startup Bootcamp in association with Energy Australia. And we have their founder, Nick, in the studio today. Hello, Nick. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. And pleasure being here. Thank you. You're sporting a, we're going to talk more, of course, about blockchain and all that, but you're sporting a blockchain entrepreneur t-shirt. Yeah. So did... They're getting more popular, those, these days. <laughs> well, I mean, is it sort of like, did you have it custom-made? Is it is it a club that you're a member of, or you just wanted to announce to the world what you're about? Um, actually, uh, this is from a conference. It was a BlockCon show in uh, Santa Monica. It was a very good conference, one of the first I've been there. Um, so, yeah, T-shirt from there. Fantastic. And, and just can you fill us in a little bit of background there, Nick? Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and also, you know, the origin of how WePower was born. Yeah, so uh, my background is energy. I was doing renewable energy development uh, for a while. I was working in uh, in Europe, um, namely it was Lithuania, Belarus, uh, Poland, and Spain. So uh, when we faced some of the market inefficiencies there, we were looking at way how we can solve the financing problems of um, renewable energy and how to accelerate the growth to 100% renewable energy. And today we have a team of uh, 24 professionals uh, that all of them come mainly from energy sector. So me from development of renewable energy projects. Our development team uh, comes from a distribution systems operator. And uh, we all united uh, with the same vision to help accelerate the growth to 100% renewable energy. And uh, we started developing our platform. And we saw that you know blockchain application, especially the smart contracts, are right fit for us. And uh, we went on that path. So can you give us a little bit of background? I mean, we're going to have some listeners, a whole sort of diversity. There's going to be some crypto geeks, no doubt, are going to tune into this. But we're also, we've are also we got a lot of people that are very focused on energy. Um, can you give for those energy people just a little bit of background about uh, your recent token sale and, and, and a bit about your blockchain technology? Sure. We recently finalized our token sale. It was on the 1st of February. Uh, we had an initial round where uh, we had a sale in October. We just was open for community as a pre-sale. Then we had um, we were working with uh, mainly working with funds that uh, were, were the right fit and are the right fit for, to help us uh, support the development of uh, the platform globally. And on the 1st of February, we had a sale that lasted for was five hours and 45 seconds. So it was five hours with the individual caps. That's the sort of precision we like from Europeans. That's sort of down to the second. That's, <laughs> I like that, Nick. Yeah, so it was f- uh, five hours of individual caps for uh, people that were registered and did the KYC on the platform. And that uh, was 45 seconds of open sale. <laughs> right. 
And can I just say, I tried to get in that, Nick, but I, I thought it was going to be easier for me to break into the Kremlin than get five ether worth of tokens. Uh, in terms <laughs> we promise of promise that's the last Soviet joke. I <laughs> know <laughs> no, we can't promise that. Okay. Um, okay. So, so also as well, Nick, can you give us some sort of background there in terms of the amount of capital raised and the number of people that participated in that token sale? Uh, so totally, we raised uh, 40 million uh, US dollars at the time of sale, and um, uh, we had uh, a bit over 22,000 people that participated. Uh, we had um, the demand was uh, huge and still is. So um, totally, we had around 80,000 people registered for the sale, uh, and they did the KYC. Unfortunately, um, not everybody could participate. And I know we, how they feel, Nick. It was, uh, <laughs> I was one of those 60. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's it's we are really helpful. We were really glad for the support, uh, but uh, it was just uh, when we uh, when we had to close the, the registration, uh, we had a spike of uh, how many people want to participate still. And, uh, well, we're really glad that support is there globally. Uh, but, you know, those, one, those th- who could participate did, and we're uh, really, really thankful for that so those of you those who who did participate and uh and now have tokens what do they own not a not a not a share of the companies a lot of people who maybe participate in an ipo is buying a a share in the company that funds the company but gives them a a, an ownership stake but that's not the case here correct yeah so let me start then uh with explaining what platform does so WePower is essentially a a Kickstarter for renewable energy projects. Uh, on the platform, the developer can uh, sell his energy uh, production upfront and uh, raise additional capital to uh, build more projects uh, and supplement his uh, equity part. Uh, at the same time, people that are buying those energy contracts are able to buy energy cheaper uh, for uh, somewhere between uh, a year and four year period of time and uh, either use it, that energy that they bought, or sell it on the platform uh, to other customers. So essentially, we, we allow this uh, trading. Uh, I wouldn't say well, it's a peer-to-peer still. People are trading between themselves. and um, But it, can, it allows to have uh, high volumes of energy uh, from the very beginning and we, in which people could trade. Okay, so so yeah, so in buying that, they've bought this this basically uh, premium rights to the platform as it develops over yeah. time. So uh, those um, those energy contracts are simple um, ERC twenty smart contracts for energy delivery at a certain point in time. Uh, the platform token WPR it gives you a right first to participate uh, before everybody else is. So there are more people registered on the platform than uh, there are token holders. So um, those who have a WPR token, they're able to participate, participate earlier and buy energy uh, uh, from the developer. And uh, also it gives you a right to retrieve uh, part of the energy that's being donated of the, to the platform. So as a, as, a, as a business model, the platform for its operations takes uh, a fee uh, for the capital raised. And uh, part of that um, goes directly to the token holders. Okay. So, Nick, I'm I'm studied my finance uh, master of applied finance, and I'm always looking to try and put these into some sort of equivalent term of what they might mean in terms of a financial instrument in mainstream finance. Um, uh, so, two questions I've got. Firstly, is from what you're describing there, it's almost like you're buying an option <laughs> to purchase uh, an asset uh, at a discount, sort of like a, in that context. 
Um, that's first the first thing to get clarified. But the second thing is, you mentioned there about the potential for dividends and the spitting off of some sort of income from this. I want to just clear up and get on my soapbox for a minute, Anthony. I quite like the idea of dividends and things, you know, spitting off yield because you can work out the present value of those and you've got a good uh, capital asset. But the thing that we're aware of in Australia is that the people that don't like that are regulators. So how do you deal uh, with the issue that you might be selling something that looks a bit like a security here in Australia? How does that fit into your business plan? And also the other question I wanted to ask as well is how many of your 22,000 people are Australian, the WePower token holders? Is there a big chunk of them? Well, talking about the second question first, we estimate there's around 16% uh, of people uh, Mm -hmm. that are Australian. Talking about the first question, it is always work of the regulator to see in which of the boxes the project falls under. So you can always say something looks like a security, but the question is, does it look like something else as well? And we talked about this question with the regulators, and uh, they don't see it uh, as a security. Uh, They see it as a utility. So it falls under that regulation. The contracts themselves on the platform, which are energy contracts, uh, they're not a security in themselves. It's just contract for energy delivery. But the tokens that give, you know, uh, it's a question, what rights do you have by holding that token? And how does it perform on the platform? So um, we talked openly with the regulators. We did it actually. Which, which ones, Nika? So well, we talked in Gibraltar and we talked in Lithuania. Yeah. So um, in the end, uh, the issuer was uh, a Lithuanian company. Yeah. And the, the, the token sale at the central bank with which we talked, which regulates all uh, yeah. all securities. We got a letter from them that uh, we are not a security. Sure, sure. And have you had any discussions with AEMO or whoever regulates? I don't even know who would regulate this here in Australia. It would be more the financial services, I imagine, than, than AEMO or the AMC or something like that. Well, so and the energy sector will be regulated by AEMO, of course. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk with them as well, but we have a lot of support through Startup Bootcamp within Energy Australia. We talk with them about those issues. They're also very well informed sure, on yeah. their business. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's obviously in your interests for it not to be considered a security, uh, or, or, or is it? What it? We don't fear regulation. It's, uh, yeah. it's not a problem there. It's how you can operate, and uh, you always work within the regulation as it is. So if uh, something needs adapted, you adapt uh, the business model, but you know, we don't fear regulation. Can I just say, I think from the investment point of view, we'd quite like it to behave a bit more like uh, security to to get those present value of cash flows. But obviously, there's some regulatory issues about whether that's legal and how that fits into the current framework. Well, the the very fact that on the blockchain, I mean, you know, we're not going to get a lot of opportunity to speak about some of the innards of that. But the very fact that, that contracts can be swapped so easily, the whole concept of a contract is transforming to the point where it may resemble more of a security, and that's something that the regulators have to grapple with in general, right? It, it's it, This is a hybrid that, that they haven't seen before, and, uh, yeah, uh, the regulation will just have to suit. But it, I think there'll just be a lot of push and pull, obviously. Yeah, of course. You know, it depends uh, if they'll see more risk. Uh, if uh, people get scammed, for example, uh, regulation might step in and probably should step in. Uh, to um, and, and U.S., there were a couple of cases already that uh, U.S. regulators stepped in. Uh, to check uh, a couple of projects and shut them down because uh, they were absolute fraud. So um, that is, you know, it, that is welcome. Uh, but I think there's still a lot needs to be uh, developed and tried out to see how, where the sector goes. And then uh, when we see that evolution happen, we might put some rules in. 
Nick, now I know that you know there'll be a lot of your token holders out there sort of focused on going to the moon and Lambos and all sorts <laughs> of other fun stuff here, but we really want to try and bring this back to the sort of the value streams that blockchain can enable here. Uh, and for the people that are less familiar with how energy markets work, particularly in Australia, I'll just sort of draw a pie chart visually for you. Um, on one side of it, we've got a sort of a network cost that's about 45% of the bill. Uh, we've got a, a maybe a quarter of it is generation cost, and then there's some retailing margin, about 20%, and then a little bit of sort of fat left over. Uh, given you know your business strategy and your code, um, which bit of your, your business strategy and your code are you really trying to target in terms of those pieces of the pie? Where are you trying to you know extract that value in what is you know frankly a bit of a sort of bloated system there? You know, what's the strategy there, Nick? So the focus is to bring more cheap energy online. So more that generation bit than the... Yeah. So you're not really even... And, and that's the, as a follow-up to that, do you have, because we've you know interviewed PowerLedger and there's a number of other sort of power, uh, blockchain companies globally are looking to embed uh, location-based uh, uh, details into those smart contracts that will enable some trading you know, between um, people across a network and, and enable some extraction of that value chain, chain from the network. Are you guys not doing that? Do you have some geographical locator? Yeah, of your, course. You do? Of yeah. course. It's, it's natural. You know, yeah. It's nothing to embed there. You, know, you, you just uh, know the origin of the contract, uh, where it comes from, which power plant, and that's it. So that's the but, point. But from the consumer side? Well, a consumer can always check where it comes from. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, that's no problem there. Um, the question is, you know, we... Uh, there, Two sides of that. So we first start with um, bringing more energy online. So mm -hmm. this is the core principle. And firstly, because uh, more renewable energy would bring cheaper energy. In the long run, countries that um, have higher development of renewable energy will be much more competitive in the end. So we start with that uh, to bring more energy and smart contracts for people to be able to trade. But what happens when you have large penetration of renewable energy? Then you can understand where the energy goes to. And then accordingly, you can adjust the grid to and see what parts of the grid needs where you have to invest and those parts of the grid and parts of the grid are not used. So in the end, you'll have uh, more understanding of the grid and more value from there to be able to reduce the part of the delivery of energy as well. So you are going to address the network element, but looking at where you place the generation. Exactly. Okay. Fair enough. We're in the studio today. I just, he doesn't sound convinced. No, 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 no. And I'll also say as well, no, I am convinced. I'll also say as well, Nick, there's not many people that can do this, but you can, you're one of the few people who can come into the studio and if we ask any tricky questions, you can say $40 million and 22,000 people uh, are, are not wrong here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not about that. You know? It's not about that. <laughs> yeah, you still have to yeah, have confidence in your idea over and beyond that, I'm sure. The first question I ask whenever I see, say this is, why does having it on the blockchain, why is that important? How does that make it better than, than other solutions. Does it mean that other people can participate in um, renewable energy projects getting up and helping fund them, distributing those and trading those contracts? Because, you know, obviously power purchase agreements exist now for, for, for bigger consumers to, to buy into projects. Is it, is it really just distributing that amongst a, a greater number of people than would otherwise have access? So a blockchain is needed to go globally. So we want to enable global financing for the renewable energy projects in different parts of the world. So people, uh, for example, uh, Lithuania or Estonia, where we come from, we don't have much sun. So it, it doesn't make sense for us to invest in renewable energy there. Well, solar, I mean, sure. because the return on that will be terrible. However, if we can invest in a country like Spain and get return on that, 
you buy energy uh, at a certain price, you know where the market is, you're buying a discount, you can sell that energy uh, at a full price and uh, get your money back. So that enables uh, global investment into the projects where you actually need to develop them because it's one of the best resources there. So we have a lot of global resources such as sun, such as wind, hydro, but we have a lot of local resources as well. So that's biogas, biomass, and maybe there are even some other resources that are there, which can be uh, renewable as well. We want to support all of them. So it's about moving to 100% renewable energy and supporting global resources and local resources. And the money should flow to the places in the world where it can actually make a difference without any subsidies. We're in the studio today talking to Nick Martignac from WePower, one of the founders. Nick, I just wanted to sort of, following on from your comment there about looking at those those options available, we've interviewed a lot of people on the show talking about really very localised stuff, you know, five kilowatts on a roof or very small scale, you know, community solar. Um, if I look at your strategy compared to some of those others, is there sort of like a minimum size for you guys where this is viable by the time you do the project finance? Is there a sort of a sweet spot um, that you won't go under, for example? Today we're working mostly with um, developers that develop plants from somewhere from 10 megawatts to 50, yep. typical size. But uh, for us, it doesn't matter. We can uh, put uh, one kilowatt uh, okay. rooftop solar power, power plant on top. But we want to develop It high, must need some scale, volumes. though. Yeah, yeah, we need volumes, you yeah. know. To, the thing is that uh, if you want to trade in energy, and we are in a small community, we can trade together between me and you. If, for example, you have a solar panel and I don't. But if we both have solar panels on rooftops, we produce energy at the same time. There's nothing we're going to trade in. And uh, if we're already conscious about the environment and we already built those solar plants on top, then uh, we're going to want to buy more energy, more renewable energy. And uh, that for that, you have to have volumes. You have to take it from somewhere. Today, it's a bit more centralized, we can say, you know, 10 to 50 megawatts, although it's not that big on a grand scale of things. Still, that production will deliver energy much cheaper to the final consumers because of simple economies of scale. And Nick, one of the other questions I wanted to ask was to do with the issues associated with the timings of energy going in and out between consumers and people who, who, who are producing the energy through your platform. So one of the issues we've got, the two issues, firstly in Australia we have at times to do with wind farms, we have issues to do with curtailment. So you may have token holders that are holding an asset that's being curtailed um, just through some, some regional grid constraint. Um, and so, so firstly, how, how do you manage that? And secondly, you know, the, just that overall uh, issue associated with you may have two participants that want to trade, but uh, the voltage may be too high, so the network won't let you trade. How do you piece together the network fitting into this system because it's a key stakeholder in allowing the transaction to take place. Yeah, so regarding the first one, um, of course, there's uh, to go, um, and this is a part of the platform that we're building from day one, that uh, if you want to go to 100% renewables, you have to have uh, virtual power plants and uh, demand side response in place. So uh, some resources need to be curtailed because there's too much production happening in but we believe that here in market econo uh, economy, and if the price is uh, too high, there should be some other means uh, for that to be absorbed. So, for example, if the price is definitely high, high, it depending on different countries, the, the business model are different. But in some cases, it makes sense to have uh, stored battery storages. Batteries are very different from lithium ion to uh, chemical uh, battery storages, heat storages. It depends on the on the on the application. 
but uh, that would be already we built that with the tokens you can have the economy in place to um, have those business models so it allows you to build on top of what we are building other applications as well so can I assume at this point that uh, you talked about the, the example of uh, Lithuania and Spain, for example. Does there need to be a interconnection between, the, at the very least, between the producer and the consumer of that energy in order for, for the transaction to take place? So within the country, um, the grid does that for you. Yep. Uh, there are rules for how the energy is being delivered, but uh, the contracts are being fulfilled um, all the time. Um, so um, the markets uh, of uh, Europe and Australia are a bit uh, bit different. So we are working on both models. So we'd be able to work perfectly in Europe and uh, work in Australia as well. We're very happy that our work uh, with Australian Energy helps us to develop this uh, platform to a really global potential. Yeah. So there just needs to be a physical connection, yeah. and then and then in the in that place, you are just going to uh, build in that that premium that's required for you to tr- do the transaction over the network where whoever exactly. they need to be compensated. So you have the grid fees for energy delivery as as they are because the energy is being traded at one physical point mm-hmm. but then the contract trading between ourselves we just need to have a physical grid in place. Uh, Nick the question I had was to do with in Australia we're seeing more large-scale solar come online. This is a, a risk that gets talked about a lot and something you know that token holders obviously you know would, would want to be cognizant of. Uh, the issue that as we get more large-scale solar in the day, we get a decrease, we, we hollow out the middle of the duck curve mm-hmm. and that wholesale price of energy drops off. Is there a risk that as you get more and more successful, especially with things like large-scale solar, that you decrease the value of those assets to token holders as the you know as as that that particular technology comes online in reality no simple answer because um, this is the business opportunity for um, uh, energy storage and this is one of the cases how um, everybody around the world are familiar with the duck curve that many companies are solving it in one way or another uh, there are a lot of pilots going on as well Essentially, the battery flattens it out. But would you have a bias towards making sure you've got a portfolio? So you've got a bit of wind and a bit of, or are you just you'll just take it on a, a case by case basis? No, you of course you'll have uh, automated strategies to trade energy and buy different contracts to have this flat line. Uh, but uh, batteries will be uh, a huge player. They're coming on online now, and they'll be a very big player in the future as well. And this is one of the business cases basically where uh, you can buy in automated fashion uh, the energy that is being undervalued, cheaper. In the in the end, uh, flatten out the price for all of the energy. Sure. So, so it is a floating price. So, someone who has a contract doesn't necessarily mean that they'll pay the same price for the energy that's being produced all the time. Of course. So, so there's, there's that aspect as well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, if we look at um, the energy auctions, in the very beginning, you're buying a curve, which would be at the same price. So you're buying an average price. But uh, once you have it, uh, you have different representation for different uh, points in, si- in time at different prices. So uh, the peak contracts uh, will be much more expensive, but then they will, you will have also a cheaper contract in place. So would you be looking to go more merchant or would you also be looking to put some sort of PPA arrangement in as well? How would that, from a strategy point of view, I mean, for what you're saying there, you're sort of biasing towards I'm, merchant? I'm, I'm a market believer, so <laughs> uh, I would like to go full merchant. And sure. um, we have really great cases in, in Europe where um, a lot of projects are coming online that are fully merchant. But from a cost of finance point of view, the reason that we have gone down the PPA price is to lower the cost of capital, and here we are today, Nick. So, so yeah. practically speaking, there and look, maybe it is changing. There certainly have been in Australia some merchant deals struck. 
but there still is when you want finance and you want it for 20 years people want to say give me a PPA yeah, yeah but, but, but battery storage changes that though you, know, oh, you start seeing a blending model and of course, yeah, it'll, it'll of be course. Fine. models will be changing so today you have uh, different different developers trying to do full merchant some of them succeed some of them uh, if there's it's a well-established company uh, there's no problem in that and if we look at solar production well here in Melbourne if you put a solar power plant the payback is around 10 years. So you don't need More, a 20-year 20, 20 contract that's or 20-year right. debt you know, yeah. obligation to, sure. to do that. Sure. Nick, one of the things, obviously, we're talking to you guys. Um, we're hoping to get the guys from Electrify Asia on. We've spoken to the guys from PowerLedger. I'm very interested in to hear your perspective on this value proposition of these different technologies. We've got a lot of um, probably listeners on the show, and including myself, who hold some PowerLedger tokens, for example. I'll give you the description of the landscape as I see it, and please you know, chip in if you've got anything to add here. PowerLedger seem to be chasing a bit more of the sort of network opportunity that I mentioned. They're looking at microgrids and potentially smaller scale stuff that's a bit more distributed. They're not at the moment interacting with the wholesale energy market, as I understand, but they're talking about doing that. And they're also talking about some asset germination and other things as well. Um, You guys are very much focusing on the generation side of things. Um, you probably bias more towards large centralized systems than distributed ones, and you are looking to participate in the wholesale energy market? Well, we're for uh, distributed energy production. Okay. But we anyway will be centralized with a centralized grid. As part of, and I imagine Deal with Energy Australia is going to tie you to that wholesale market. uh, Well, the wholesale market, you know, the way it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, being constructed here, you have a gross pool market, which uh, limits uh, your option of how you can do business. But we see here a great opportunity. We see a lot of demand here. And so just as a follow-on as well, I know some of uh, the other blockchain technologies are looking to put IoT devices in. Does your uh, technology and platform require any additional investment other than the smart meters that we know are already distributed in Victoria? So you just plug straight in? Yeah. That's good to know. You know, have you got any thoughts on any of the other models out there? The Grid Plus are more like a pre-sale of electricity. You know, there's the LO3 are a bit more like PowerLedger in terms of what they're doing. What's your? Have you got any thoughts on that overall landscape and how you guys uh, sort of fit into it relative to the, to the well, other? Well, LO3 and uh, Brooklyn Microgrid one were one of the first startups out there that did um, energy trading for the community. So that's uh, peer-to-peer trading, as we say. Everything is. Everybody basically aims for the same idea as transactive grid, but it's done in different ways. We met guys from uh, Grid Plus, amazing team. So they have a lot of background and they have a lot of support from Consensus, which uh, one of the first uh, probably yeah, co-founder of Ethereum is uh, founder of uh, Consensus. They do a lot of interesting work. They're working on the product. So uh, we work in different areas of energy. So there's I wouldn't say there's competition. There are very different sectors of the of the ecosystem that we're working with. We try to talk to everybody. I, I met Electrify Asia in Singapore. Yep. It's a very interesting sector. We'll see uh, how it will develop. And everybody tries to work at a different angle uh, because usually it comes from their own experience. So because our experience is large-scale energy development, renewable energy projects, and grid operations because uh, all of our development team comes from a distribution systems operator. So we know very well how the networks are run and how they're operated. That's why we go for a large scale and we uh, we believe it's um, we need to do that to have more energy on the network to transact. 
And in the end, it brings more value to everybody who helped us deliver the platform. And just to wrap things up a little bit, what on a typical project that you might look at? I mean, you probably you've only been here a week, so we'll we'll hopefully ask you this question again, you know, towards the end of your tour. But what would be a typical IRR that you might expect on a project here in Australia, in terms of you know the financing? What what sort of return would investors get? So if we look at uh, the energy contracts, we are still working on a model. Typically in Europe, the project, if you're buying energy, energy contract, that would give you a return of around um, 15, 17%, which is not bad. The energy prices here are higher for the wholesale market, where I'm comparing two wholesale markets sure. at yep, the same time. Yep. They are higher, so I, I would expect uh, a higher return on that. But we're still working on um, all the you know nuances with, uh, with Energy Australia. It's a great partnership. We'll see that soon. Sure. Well, I mentioned that in the middle of the show there, we talked about the network being sort of one half of it and the, the generation, the retail. Do you see your platformers in any way uh, improving the productivity of that retailing bit? You know, is there any way that it can be linked in to make things, payments more seamless? Is there anything that could be helped oh, yes. to, to do to help oh, them? Oh, yes. So that, let's, oh, let's yes. hear it. Let's hear it, Nick. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we because that's a big part of the pie. It's twenty percent yeah, of the pie. Yeah, yeah. So we're working uh, on different aspects of uh, of the business here. First, being just uh, energy trading and energy, uh, be able to buy cheaper energy. As I mentioned, that when the retail kicks in and you understand how the grid works, first of all, you'll be able to reinvest where you need to, and not invest in parts of the grid where you don't need to. The processes themselves because it's everything is run on the platform that does not have any legacy problems or any old systems in. It makes all the process of uh, buying energy uh, and uh, getting it much, much uh, easier. Plus, we have a lot of, uh, we have very good partners that are in crypto space for a very long time and they provide payment systems to get in and get out from uh, crypto today very cheaply and fast and have very s- small transaction fees already. They didn't do an ICO, by the way. They just simple business that does what they do best. Sure. I think we have to wrap it up. Thanks for joining us today, Nick. It's my pleasure being here. Uh, you've been listening to Beyond Zero Show, brought to you by the climate solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions. To find out more about what we do, visit us at bze.org.au. My name is Anthony Daniel. I'm Matt Grantham. And we'll see you next time. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.